Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it's Thursday. Hey, hey. Hey. And uh, we're back. We're back. In my office is the same. Yeah, well, it's the, the same only because it's only been 30 minutes well, when well, we recorded the last one. So technically, there's another 30 minutes available before things can change again. It's possible, but I, I, not likely. Well, okay. Yeah. I'm still thankful God doesn't change. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Th- no, that's that's fine. That's great. Yeah. And we, uh, yeah. What's new? We've got Easter coming up. We, we should probably start talking a little bit about what our plans are. We've got this uh, this thing that you guys heard about this past Sunday for the first time, which is extravaganza. Wow. Uh, and that's going to be on Saturday of Easter week, the 30th. Ooh. And if Where you at? Were, well, if you were with us at our family fest, it's going to be at the same place, Frisco Commons Park. Frisco Commons Park. And uh, this is something that's going to be a, a big focus for us as far as kind of our, our main spring outreach event that we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing another family fest in the summer. Uh, we've also got Camp Compass in the summer. We've got some other things planned alongside those. But this is really our main outreach emphasis here. And it's Easter weekend, so it's it's a, a time that it's ripe to invite people to church. It's time to invite that's that's ripe to invite people to an event like this. Uh, we're going to be there for uh, for most of the the, the day, spending time uh, doing these Easter egg hunts and. I mean, it's it's something silly and something very simple and something very trivial to, to, to pack eggs with candy and let kids go out and get them. And yet, it provides a place for us to talk with the, the parents there, to get to know them, to put information about our church in their hands. And it's also just, it, you know, here's here's a question that we often ask ourselves as pastors. If our church shut its doors, would our community miss us? And, uh, and it's things like this that are building a foundation where our community is going to pay attention to the fact that we're here. Uh, and we want to build on this even more as the Lord continues to grow our church and mature our church. And, and we want to make a, a, a quite the impact and, and dent in the community to where they would say, man, yeah, that really does hurt. Not just because I don't have an Easter thing to go to, but and Lord willing, we, we don't want our, the Lord to, to close the doors of our church, but we want to be the type of church that if the Lord did close the doors of our church, our community would say, man, we miss we miss Compass Bible Church. Some will say, well, Pastor PJ, the eggs and the Easter bunny, this is a big distraction from what we're really supposed to be about as Christians. Uh, what do I do with that? Yeah. It, you know, you're going to come to church on Sunday morning. You're not going to see anybody dressed up like an Easter bunny. You're not going to see uh, us handing out Easter eggs and things like that. But here's here's the thing. Much like we talked about with Halloween, this is a, a cultural uh, phenomena that we as the church can look at and say and turn our nose up at and and scoff at and make the world feel like oh man we're we're idiots for participating in this and how could anyone ever do that or we can look at this and say you know what here's an opportunity here's an opportunity to go out and engage and take something that uh, the, the world is, is willing to participate in and redeem it and use it as a platform for us to get to know people and get the gospel out and invite people to church and, uh, and bless our, our community in the process. So uh, we're not endorsing this and saying, you know, the, the Easter bunny is the mascot of Easter morning or, you know, that, 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 you know, Easter is, is what it should be called. I know people get upset about that too. Cause they're like, well, it's a pagan, you know, fertility festival and we shouldn't call it Easter and you Happy should call resurrection it resurrection Day. Sunday. Yeah. It's like, Okay, uh, look, okay, I get that. And if that's you, don't sin against your conscience. Call it Resurrection Sunday. That's fine. All we're trying to do here is not to, to, to compromise in, in, in anything else, and I don't believe for a second that we are. I, I, what we're trying to do is, is to 
seize upon something that that our world celebrates and say, okay, there's a connection here for us. There's an on-ramp here for us. This is a low-hanging fruit for us to go out and try to collect as many people as we possibly can and get them in a place where they're going to hear the gospel and and they're going to get to know us as Compass Bible Church in the process. Yeah, I guess this is a lot like the Halloween celebrations that we're taking advantage of. Right. We're using it as an on-ramp to connect the dots for someone who doesn't perhaps know or doesn't care. We, we want to do this as Jesus called us to do. We want to be a wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Yep. We're going to be shrewd. And that means that we're going to use resources behind this in order to capture eyes and ears and p- perhaps have an opportunity to share Christ with these people. And of course, to leave it an Im- impact as well. Right. And, and listen, here's the thing. You probably have neighbors in, in your community that if you said to them, hey, come to, to church on Sunday morning with me, they're probably going to be pretty reticent to that, to that idea of going from zero to 60 like right. that and sh- saying, okay, yeah, I'm willing to go. Not that you shouldn't invite people to church, do it. Cause you never know when God's working on somebody. But if you go to that same family and say, Hey, our church is putting on an, an Easter egg hunt on Saturday for the kiddos. We'd love for your family to be there. It's a free event. Show up. There's going to be games. There's going to be ki- candy for the kids. There's going to be a great time. We'd love for you guys to be there. Here's the invite. That family probably much more likely to go there as a step one than they are to showing up at your community group or walking into church on the, on a Sunday morning, cold Turkey. So, but what does that do? Okay. Well now they've been exposed to our church. They've met some of our church people. They, right. they see friendly faces there. Next time you go, Hey, you know, our, our church is, is meeting on Sunday mornings. We'd love for you to be there. Mm-hmm. Or what we want to do hopefully at this event is connect people to our kids camp. That's going to happen during the summer right? so that we can say, Hey, we're doing our kids camp this summer. We'd love for you guys to be a part of that too. And we're building these connection points with people that will hopefully ultimately get them to the place where they're saying, yeah, we, we, we want to come to the church and, uh, even more foundationally and fundamentally than that, if they're not in Christ, getting them to say, we understand we need, we need Jesus. I think one of the most powerful, and I think this is something I read recently in how to talk to your friends about Jesus without being that guy. I think it's Sam Chan. We read this last year together. The, one of the most powerful apologetics for the gospel is our people. And so when you invite your friends to come to these events and they're engaging with our kids and our family members, and I mean, there's something special about the body of Christ and having your neighbors and your friends rub elbows and shoulders or rub whatever appendages of their pot. Well, okay, let's back up. (laughs) Dump, dump button. (laughs) You know, they're connecting with us. Yep. There is something cool about that. And I think that's by God's design. People relate to other people. They realize, oh, Christians aren't super weird and awkward. They're actually kind and that, that they're, they're senior pastor. He's really cool, dude. I like him. I might want to come and listen to his preaching after all. I mean, there's just so many things that God uses yeah. in situations like that that can be wielded for good. Yeah. Don't miss it. Yep. hundred percent. Well, let's jump into our text for today. We are in Exodus, just two chapters today, 28 and 29. They're beefy though. And uh, you may be looking in your rear view mirror at uh, the last couple chapters going, hey, wait a minute, what about this piece or this piece or this detail? Listen, uh, we were just talking after that that episode ended. There's a lot of repetition in Exodus. And so we're going to have time to circle back to some of those things. And, uh, and so hopefully we won't leave too much meat on the bone. Although a podcast like this, our, our goal is not to clean the bone, but to, uh, to at least give you a, a few bites of inf- helpful information along the way to, to help you, uh, process these texts and these passages. But yeah, so 28 and 29, we start with the, the, the priestly uniform. Now this, this, uh, piqued my interest. I, I went to, to seminary at master seminary and, and the, head of the program there used to say that there's a preaching uniform that uh, is to be worn and it's skinny jeans, nope. high tops, nope. 
and a, and a wife beater. Yeah, no. It's uh, gray slacks, black shoes, uh, a white shirt, a specific tie from Brooks Brothers, the BB1. It sounds like you're trying to describe somebody. Right Red now. and blue stripes and uh, a, a blue blazer with brass buttons Shots on Shots are being fired right now. Uh, I'm just saying. that's That was it. His he was people like, are emailing us as you speak. Yeah. Yeah, but it is interesting. I mean, so much attention is given to the clothing of the priest. And it's interesting that right off the bat in verse 2, he says that this is for glory and for beauty. And so that, that there is a parallel here. It does matter. You know, it, it, if your pastor, and thankfully he doesn't to this point, but if your pastor just rolls out of bed and shows up in shorts and a, a T-shirt and he's looking unkempt and he, he goes to open the word of God, I mean, there's, there's the one side that says, well, what does it matter? God's word is the power, not what the person is wearing. Okay, fine. But there's a, a point here, just like the building, and we talked about that in the last episode, there's something to be said about making sure that our our dress reflects the the God that we worship and we serve. And there's a lot of flexibility there. I was uh, going to say, culturally, man, you're, 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 you're stepping on toes now. Are you saying that people need to wear Sunday dresses and slacks and no, no, no. ties and, to church? And I'm even separating and differentiating those that are platform versus those that are sitting in the in the in the audience because i'm not giving up my flip-flops man right. my yeah. flip-flops my rainbows are coming with me to church i don't care what you say freedom in christ jesus wore sandals by the way <laughs> he did he did you're right <laughs> no but there there is a difference and uh, and i would differentiate in that and and we have a, a casual culture around us and our, our church is overall pretty casual i mean people do show up in shorts and a t-shirt and that doesn't bother me it's not i i, I don't take any offense at that but I, I would take offense if a guy, if a senior pastor stood up to preach the word in shorts and a t-shirt on a Sunday morning, unless there were unique circumstances. Why is that different than the parishioner who, or the casual, the, the attendee? Why, why do you see a different standard for that person? Because of what he's doing, right? There's a concept, even a, a, preaching sometimes is referred to as privileging the word. Okay. Um, not that, that we in our presence are privileging the word. And in, in other words, it's an honor for the word to have us, but the, the word is to be honored. The word is to be revered. Uh, if you go back to, to the, the, uh, well, certainly middle ages in, in uh, the cathedrals and things like that in, in Europe, but even here, if you go to, to some of the churches in the Northeast that were some of the original churches, the pulpit is elevated. It's, it's higher. It's, you have to literally walk stairs yeah. up to get to this thing. And it was because what took place there was so revered, the opening of the word of God, we're hearing from God's word. And so I, I do think that there's a, there's a, a respect and an honor that can be reflected in the attire that is associated with that. So, okay, working with that logic then, it seems like the church as a whole should probably replicate that. It's To your point, when we live in a pretty casual culture where that's not the MO, that's right. not what we typically do, but when we go to weddings, it's, you know, we dress up. Right. Should the church put more emphasis on what we wear? Given what we're reading here in chapter 28 of Exodus, the, yeah. pri the priests... They couldn't be laissez-faire about what they wore. They had to have a certain uniform, a certain approach, because it conveyed a certain mentality. Right. It carries a connotation. Is that the case for the church today? Are we too casual, or do you think that it's fine the way it is? We just need to keep that in mind as we go to church. Well, listen, here's the thing. I think we can err on either side of this, because uh, the, 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 the other side of this is what we wear can become a distraction, and it can take focus away from uh, the glory of God by putting the focus on us and what we're wearing and and either by dressing down too much or by dressing up too much even. If we dress up so much that it surpasses the, the cultural you know, stripe there because there's there's a, a, a path that you can walk in this and, and be okay and some are going to be closer to one edge than the other edge. 
But if we dress up so much that it exceeds the one size, well, then we're just a distraction to, to everybody else and everything else going on. So I think it's this. We need to be intentional and thoughtful about what we wear. We need to be thinking. I, there was a sweet little old lady at, at one of my churches that I pastored at in Missouri, and she would always wear a hat. What's her name? Estella Johnson. Estella Johnson. And she would always wear a hat to church on Sunday morning. Thanks for I, listening, Estella. I asked her one Sunday. She, she is still alive, but I don't know that she's listening. But I asked her one, one day at church. I said, Miss Estella, why do you always wear a hat on Sunday? And she said, she said, Pastor, I always have. She said, because growing up, my mama told me we need to dress up when we come to church because we're going to see the king. Mm. And, and that stuck with her. And so that mentality. And it just stuck with you. Fought, and it stuck with me. Right. So that mentality kind of follows uh, along the way. I think we get in trouble when we say, this is the standard. You have to at least hit this or you have to define it and, and not hit this. That's where I think we're, we're crossing too far in, in becoming legalist in defining what it has to be or has to look like. But I do think it's it's helpful for all of us to probably put a little bit more thought and intentionality into what we're doing when we show up at church on Sunday. So ultimately, this is going to come get, come down to the posture of heart. Jesus has fulfilled the law. We're not under any obligation any longer to wear a certain thing. And certainly, it's the priests here, the Levites, who had to wear the certain uniform. It wasn't the parishioner. It wasn't the regular Israelite. But right. we should be thoughtful about what we wear. And perhaps with the idea that our clothing preaches a message, we right. should probably make sure that the message our clothing preaches is the right one. Yep. Yep, helpful. The next couple of items there, uh, you've got the ephod in verses six through fourteen, and notice on here that that it contained the names of the sons of Israel as a reminder to the priests that they were representing Israel and that the people when they went in before God, and so they literally wore the names of the tribes, not just here but also on the breast breastpiece of judgment. Uh, in verses fifteen through thirty, they had stones in that that had the names of the twelve tribes, uh, and so they were representing the people. That was what was so important there, Pastor Rod. Tell us, you've you've got the definitive answer. I do. What is the Urim and Thummim? It's basically this. I'm just going to describe it to you. Uh, there are two pieces of wood, uh, cedar, pro- probably. Uh, no, 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 they're not cedar. Hold on, let me just, uh, here, here we go. Um, in Exodus chapter, <clears throat> you see it right here. It's acacia wood. Acacia wood, they were chiseled to look like a many-sided dice. And then you... You shake them on your chest piece okay. near the uh, the breastplate, and then you throw it on the floor. And if you got sevens, then you win. <laughs> if you got snake eyes, then it didn't. Snake eyes, then you lose everything. Over. You just bankrupt. <laughs> That's what it is, definitively. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we joke because we don't know. We, we, we really, nobody knows exactly what this was. It was some way of deciphering God's will. Uh, there's casting some thought, lots of some yeah, sorts. Casting lots. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting is it goes away after David's time. And so I saw one commentator make the point that this is pro- probably because you have the prophets that uh, really come on the scene heavily from that time forward. And so rather than, you know, casting lots, you've got Isaiah, you've got Jeremiah, you've got Daniel, you've got Nehemiah, you've got all these guys that are that are coming in, not Nehemiah, but Zechariah, you've got all these guys that are coming in saying, thus says the Lord and giving God's prescription and direction to the people of Israel at that point. The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So uh, with that concept then, yeah. is there anything wrong? This is how God interacted with his people. If I take a, and I'm not joking here, if I right. took an eight ball and I shake that up and I ask it a question, I say, God, you're the, you're the one who determines you know, what this eight ball is going to say. Should I marry this person? Should I go to this school? Should I do this thing? Or um, if I flip a coin, God, if I should do the thing, give me a tails. If I shouldn't, give me a heads. Is there anything wrong with approaching God with propositions like that, whether it's an eight ball or, or dice or yeah. a coin flip? What would you say to that? 
I would say it's it's not what God has normatively prescribed for the church in situations like that. And I think it can get dangerously close to putting the Lord our God to the test um, by saying it's it's almost Gideon's fleece. Okay, Lord, if I'm yeah. going to put this out, I yeah. want it to be dry. Then Gideon did that, but the Lord chastised him for that, and, and he did it twice and because of lack of faith. So I think there are other means, is what I'm driving at here, to help us make decisions that God has provided for us that we need to take a take advantage of in, in making those decisions. There's wisdom and an abundance of counselors. We've talked about that recently that with the whole situation with, with the, the marriage controversy. You know, going to your pastor, sitting down with your pastor saying, hey, can you help me work through this, this situation that's going on? If you're in a community group, which we would encourage all of you listening to be in a community group, you know, talking to your community group leader, talking to other people in the group, sharing your prayer request, getting input from them, um, and, and taking your time. I think... There are situations where we have to make snap decisions, but I think a lot of times we impose a, a, a time frame on ourselves that, that maybe we shouldn't. So I think there's wisdom in taking our time and really praying through a matter and not just saying, okay, I prayed once so I can say I've prayed about it and I talked to this person and they gave me the answer I wanted to hear, so I'm going to go ahead and go through with it. Um, but, but doing some, some digging and praying and searching of your own heart and your own motives and just asking God that he would give you that, that conviction and that peace one way or the other. Dude, you were so nice about that. I would have come out swinging like, no, never do that. <laughs> That's so funny. I, uh, so I wouldn't, yeah. Yes. And amen to what pastor PJ said. I would just say, uh, n- rarely should you expect that God's going to speak to you through a magic eight ball? Right. Is it possible? Right. Well, yes. Is it possible? Well, I guess in, in a hype, like maybe a point zero 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 what percent. All the hyper Calvinists out there are like, yes, 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 yes he, he controls does. that. It's sovereign. <laughs> but that's not the way God tells us to discern his will. Right. It's not. Dice, coin flips, eight balls, whatever. All right, this, is, this gets in the ballpark of let me just flip my Bible and yeah. then stop on a page and point my finger. That's not the way God works. Right. And you should never expect God to respond to you in that way. And, and, and if in fact, if in fact you were to decipher some intelligible m- statement from God, whether it's a Bible verse that you came across or that the eight ball said something profound to you that you're like, oh, wow, maybe, maybe this is God. I would say try again later, try. <laughs> I would say you accidentally stumbled on something that just happened to make sense. I would much rather you do everything. Pastor PJ says, go talk to your pastors, go talk to your, your, your small group, go, go seek God's wisdom on the matter and make a thoughtful choice. Don't default to any kind of means outside of that. Yeah. I think that's the first time you've ever told me that I've been nice. You've been too, too nice. Makes me feel Man, good. You're, Maybe sanct- you're getting a, sanctified, bro. Page. Here we go. All right. <laughs> Well, hey, the, the priestly robe and the bells. This one's kind of funny, and uh, and nobody knows for sure, ding, but ding. some people think that the bells were there so that everybody outside would know that the priest hadn't Still done something alive, wrong. Yeah. Like Aaron hadn't done messed up while he was inside. And, yeah. and uh, no In fact, more, there's no more ringing. There's legend that they used to tie a rope to the ankle of the high priest when he would go into the Holy of Holies mm, so that if out, yeah. he Makes did sense. drop dead. Like you go in and get the body. That'd be I prudent. Go in and get the body. Yeah, that yeah. would be prudent. I, 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 I buy that. That yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah, and because I've, I've heard other people say, well, the bells were there to announce the priest's presence before the Lord. I'm like, what? As though God, yeah. like, we're getting into the the, the realm of Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal. Like, well, maybe he's asleep, or maybe he's yeah. going to the bathroom. Call louder. Ringing the doorbell for yeah. God. Bring, bring. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think there was more of a, a, a practical purpose for people. There's this headdress. 
the turban, then there's the tunic and the, and then the underwear, um, in, in chapter 28 there, any, any more comments on the priestly guard before we get to chapter 29 there? So I love verse 36 here. You're going to make a plate of gold, engrave on it like the engraving of a signet. So this is special as jewelry, like holy to the Lord Mm. that his job was to be set apart for the purposes of Yahweh. And of course the high priest ultimately finds his fulfillment and realization in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He in fact was holy to the Lord, devoted, pure, a spotless lamb that was sacrificed on our behalf. So as you read through the high priest's attire and his and and what he does, you can't help but think about Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. So that would be an important point for you to remember as you read your Old Testament. We have the advantage of having the New Testament, which tells us how to understand much of this. Yeah. Chapter 29 is really all about the ordination and consecration of Aaron and his sons, the high priest, the installation of the priests here uh, for the people. And uh, notice there's a, a robing ceremony in verses five through nine there. There's offerings presented, the sin offering, the burnt offering, uh, sin offering in 10 through 14, burnt offering 15 through 18, food offering there 19 through 26. Uh, you've got the instructions on future ordinations in 27 through 30. Then they all celebrate with a meal and there's seven days that they go about setting these people apart for the work that they have. And this is a reminder to us today of the importance of being intentional about this. We, we often will, will talk about the qualifications for eldership. And uh, we've already faced this situation here, not, not with anybody currently on our, our team or anything, but from outside of people coming to us as a church plant and going, hey, can I, can I be a pastor at the church? And, and we said yes. Yeah, we, that's how so, Mark got here. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's how. And we've got a few Kelly. others that you guys don't know about. Don't worry about it though. No, but uh, but we've actually gone back and said, look, Scripture is clear that we need to be slow about the laying on of hands. Now that's a New Testament uh, command to the church, but it's drawn from situations like this. Like this was a an act of great intentionality. Like they are very purposeful in saying these men are we're, we're being set apart to do the work that God had called them to do. Uh, and that's true in the church today, and we we do that when we install people. In fact, even when when we brought Mark on uh, on staff uh, officially, and uh, we we brought him up front to say, "Hey, look, Mark is officially a part of our team right. as our kidsman director, and we're doing this to to set him apart to say he's doing the work of the ministry, and, and that's important to recognize and to pray for and to acknowledge and to consecrate, and that's what's happening here in chapter twenty nine. So a couple, I guess, quick points here. Verse nine, notice here that the priesthood is for Aaron and his sons. So when we talk about the, when we get to the next book, which is going to be Leviticus, it's speaking to the Levites, uh, those who serve the tabernacle, those who are supporting all the work there. Every, uh, every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. Now, remember, Aaron is from the tribe of Levi, but he's in a particular line, the line of Aaron, of course. His line is privileged right here by God to say, hey, you guys, by ancestry, by your gen- genetics, you guys are going to hold the priesthood. So it's not like you take a vote and say, who's going to be the next priest? Who's going to be the next guy in, in line? You, you, you know because of who his sons are. And that's essentially what you should pay attention to there. It's Aaron and his sons that take, take, that take hold of the priesthood. Yeah. By God's des- design, by God's choosing. That comes up later in Hebrews. He didn't take it for himself. God chose him and said, you're going to be the line. Right, right. Yeah, a couple of things to, uh, to note here is the, uh, the interesting thing about the, uh, the, the toes and the ears. That's here, uh, where am I finding that? Um, am I missing that? And where is this? Come on now. Just control F it, bro. Okay. Well, I can't find it, so I apologize. It is here, isn't it? 20. Chapter, uh, verse 20. Verse 20. Thank you. I control Pastor Rodded it. Yeah. Um, 
So you've got this interesting thing where they've taken part of the blood and put it on the right ear of Aaron and on the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of the right hands and on the great toes, the big toes of the right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the altar. What in the world is going on here? Um, the best I found on this, I'm interested to get your thoughts too, PR, is that this was consecrating their ears because of what they were hearing. Perfect sense, yes. Yeah, their hands for what they were doing as right. well as their feet. Same thing. The path that they walk. Yeah, the path that they walk. So if you're looking at that going, what is, what, what is this? symbolism here that that's what they're doing it's what they're hearing it's what they're doing it's what they're how they're walking so and what's cool about this is that you are as a christian you are a kingdom of priests to god so you might look at this and say well good for them but me i'm not that yes you are not in the same way obviously but when you're set apart for the lord when you're consecrated to him everything about you belongs to him. Yep. And so the same the same kind of intentionality and care that a priest would have had about what he listens to, what he looks at, where his feet go, uh, what he does with his hands, what, what she does with her eyes, this matters to them and this matters to you now as a New Testament priest and priestess, as the case may be. So we're going to be there on Sunday with a vat of blood. And as you walk in, Pastor yep. Rod's going to anoint your ears and do your big toes. Well, I'll, I'll do the ear, you do the fingers <laughs> and the toes. I'll, I'll do the first one. Anyways. Actually, I'll do the finger. You do the ear and the toe. Those are both very <laughs> intimate places. I, or, or maybe we just won't do it at all. Mm, I, you said it. I don't want to cash checks or write checks we can't cash. <laughs> We're going to do it now. Uh, one last note. Notice they eat here as celebration. So our, our history of eating together as a church to celebrate things, has a good uh, good pedigree. It's the first potluck? One of the first potlucks? Yep. Yep. Kelly loves it. Yep. So... All right. Hey, guys, thanks for reading your Bibles. Keep reading your Bibles and tune in again tomorrow while we uh, tackle more of Exodus. See you then. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.